Uh, can you explain, can you, Dr. Van Til, explain what you're doing in words that the whole church can understand? Um, so that was the challenge. And, um, you know, you can read Why I Believe in God to see if he, he accomplished it all. The two adjectives on the front of the title are the important part. They are. Because uh, Christian theistic evidence is because Van Til is saying uh, there is no such thing as a neutral piece of evidence. Right. There are no brute facts. Right. Every fact is an interpreted fact. Right. Uh, there are evidences for the Bible being the Word of God, for yep. Jesus being the Son of God, yep. but they are Christian theistic evidence. That's it. I love his, his illustration of the of the buzzsaw. Mm-hmm. The buzzsaw is kind of his illustration of how reason uh, works for unbelief. It's always cutting, and it even cuts well because it's sharp, but it's set at the wrong angle. So mm-hmm. it's got the wrong set. So you can't build anything with it. Mm-hmm. You're always cutting, and you're cutting short. Nice cut, but guess what? It's not going to fit anywhere. Welcome to The Afterword, a conversation on books, reading in the church, a podcast from Westminster Bookstore. I'm your host, Johnny Gibson. And uh, today we're going to continue talking to Dr. Scott Oliphant, Professor of Apologetics and Systematics here at Westminster Theological Seminary. Uh, If you missed the first episode, you might want to uh, listen to that. It's about Cornelius Van Til, the man, the person, his life. And uh, what we want to do in this episode is dive into his mind and his writing and uh, try and understand him. And I thought one way we could do that, Scott, is um, begin with some of his writings. Okay. Uh, so I have two essays that he wrote uh, called uh, Why I Believe and uh, My Credo. Mm-hmm. Do you want to just tell us what Van Til is trying to say in Why I Believe in God? <clears throat> right. Yeah, my... Uh my understanding is that was commissioned by the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in the in the late forties, and um, the the idea was uh, now that Van Til has sort of written a good bit, you know, by forty eight or so, he's written a lot. He's he's getting feedback, positive and negative. Uh, and as a member of the OPC, he transitioned to the OPC almost immediately from the CRC back in the day. And as a, as a member of the OPC. Uh, can you explain, can you, Dr. Van Til, explain what you're doing in words that the whole church can understand? Um, so that was the challenge. And, um, you know, you can read Why I Believe in God to see if he he accomplished it all. I remember reading it and just was um, taken with how personal it was, mm. how helpful it was. He, he does stay away from all of his um, philosophical terminology, which is a great help to so many. You know, Meether makes the point in his biography that uh, I think there's a letter that Van Til sends to his uncle, and uh, he, he complains about himself. He says, I, I, I just can't be as clear as Machen could be in my writing, and I wish I could be. Mm. So he saw in himself this kind of inability um, to to be as precise uh, as he as he wanted to be in everything that he wrote, he understood everything he wrote. Mm-hmm. But he, you know, and then people read it say, "What do you mean by this?" And you know, say, "Well, I I thought you would get this." So so I think when he's writing, uh, "Why I believe in God," what he's doing is he's 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 thinking about himself. Mm-hmm. What would I say to myself in a in a non philosophical way about? Mm about my belief in God. And, you know, one of the things that's I think so fascinating about the little pamphlet is he talks about, he writes about God as the all conditioner. Mm-hmm. And, and it's such a good way to think about what's happening in the lives of people, because whatever's going on in people's lives is going on providentially. Mm-hmm. 
mm. by virtue of God's own sovereignty. And so Van Til is saying, I was conditioned from my early days mm. to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because that's the way my family was, because that's the way they were conditioned. Mm-hmm. So that's not a fault. That's a benefit. That's a blessing. Mm-hmm. It ought to be that way. But guess what? The people who are not conditioned that way, they're conditioned in another way. It's not that they're not conditioned. Mm -hmm. They're conditioned in another way, and they're conditioned away from the gospel and away from who Christ is. Mm -hmm. So it was a nice way to sort of frame out what we what we think about as the antithesis. You know, what's Mm -hmm. going on in the antithesis? You've got only two uh, situations: either in Adam or in Christ, Mm -hmm. um, either believer, unbeliever, either the world or. Uh, the church. And and when you begin to think in those terms, uh, you recognize that um, none of that is sort of neutral territory. It, it's all territory that has a certain bias and and incentive behind it. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what Van Til's trying to help us see and why I believe in God. So he believes in God because God is sovereign. And and he came to faith in Christ because the position placed where God put him in his own mm. life. Mm. Uh, and he wants people to recognize that. Yeah. I first came across Van Til. I'd heard the name. I studied at Moore College, and we, we heard the name. We never really studied much of Van Til, unfortunately. Uh, but when I was in Cambridge doing my PhD in Hebrew studies, <clears throat> I had this sort of interest area outside of that of asking myself, well, how, how much does a scientist actually know? Hmm or a, a psychologist, or somebody who's not a Christian and they're, they're in the academic world, what, the, what do they actually know? And I just always kept hearing about Van Til, Van Til, Van Til, and he sort of has answers to these kind of things. And so I thought, I'm going to read Van Til, and I ordered Defense of the Faith oh. and uh, started reading it. And I started a book club in Cambridge in a pub on a Monday, Tuesday night, and I would sit there with Brad Green, who's at Union oh. Theological Semi- mm-hmm. uh, Union Seminary uh, in uh, Tennessee, and he and I would get together with some other PhD students, and we would read Van Til, The Defense of Faith. So that was my first entry. Hmm. But Brad Green said to me, he says, actually, before you read that, he says, this is tough going. He says, we got to read these two essays, okay. I Believe in God and My Credo. Hmm. He says, this will give you a bit more of a gentle entry mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. Van Til. And I remember appreciating that because I'd started defensive faith, but I was getting lost yeah. and uh, philosophy was never my thing. Uh, but this really helped me just see it right. from a personal perspective. Yeah. Uh, what's he doing in my credo? It, it, you know, my credo, my belief, <laughs> right. I believe. So what, what's he doing there that's maybe a bit different to why I believe in God? Yeah, well, <clears throat> there are some differences. <clears throat> One of them is uh, my, my credo is, is attached to the beginning of his festrit. Mm-hmm. So he – he which writes is, it, which uh, is Jerusalem and Athens. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, just republished by PNR. Yeah, uh, thankfully it's 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 out again. Um, and and he and my understanding is he was asked to write my credo to con- to contribute to the people who were contributors to the festival. In other mm-hmm. words, if you want to know in some what I've been thinking all of my career, uh, here it is. The festival was uh, was for his seventieth birthday, um, so you know it made it uh, pretty much. Uh, there a little bit, little bit late, um, but Ventil is writing my credo to try to summarize what he's been doing for his entire career. And and one of the things I love about it is that he does um, set out in a in a very explicit way, uh, you know, just right at the beginning, the self attesting Christ of Scripture mm-hmm. uh, has been the foundation for everything I've said. Now, if you can grasp that point 
you've got all of Van Til then. Everything else is just an explication of what that means. Um, and, and then, he, you know, and so he's focusing in the, in the My Credo, he's focusing more on the biblical content of what he was up to. Mm-hmm. Um, he has this little pamphlet. I think it's called uh, Toward a Reformed Apologetic or something like that, where he actually has some kind of retractions. Hmm. And, um, you know, it's published in pamphlet form, but it's not widely available as far as I know. But he says in that, um, he says, you know, some people have thought that I'm uh, philosophically speculative in the first place and biblically in the second place. And and he says, that's not what I've been thinking. Hmm. In effect, he's saying, you might read me that way, but that's not who I am. So he, so he goes hmm. back and says, if I had to do over again. I would probably say this. Because interestingly, he doesn't <clears throat> quote scripture much. In he his doesn't. Books. And Gaffin has an article in Westminster Theological Journal on, right. on this point. Yeah. But trying to show that actually he was thoroughly biblical. Yeah. He just didn't reference. <laughs> exactly. Burkauer in here yeah. faults Van Til for that, says, okay. you know, you didn't give us much exegesis. Van yeah. Til was saying at Westminster, he said this to me. And I know he said to other people, he said, I didn't need to do that because Murray was doing it next door. Mm-hmm. So I was pre- presupposing Murray's good work mm-hmm. while I did my work. I didn't want to repeat because I couldn't repeat what Murray did. So I think it's a I think it's a fault in some ways. If you take Van Til as Van Til and not with his colleagues and everything else going on, you're going to miss the, uh, the exegetical. Mm. But if you read him in terms of the self-attesting Christ of Scripture and how he thinks about the Bible – um, not only theologically, but epistemologically, then you begin to see kind of what he's up to. Mm-hmm. And that's what my credo was supposed to help mm. contributors and the rest of us yeah. think about. Yeah. Now, we've got his other books here, uh, Christian Apologetics, Defense of the Faith, uh, Christian Theistic Evidences, Common Grace in the Gospel, and a, a systematic... Intro to an systematic. In, an introduction to systematic theology. Yeah. T- talk us through some of these... T- you you pick the order and tell us really in essence what the book's about. Okay, well, um, let me just start with evidences. Um, not the most important thing Van Til ever wrote, but one of the first things he ever dealt with when when Machen asked him to come and he he decided he would come. Uh, he was going to teach the second year apologetics course, and so he goes back to the Midwest during the summer to prepare for that course. Uh, so now we're in the summer of 1930, um, and he's and he's nervous about it. Um, and why is he nervous about it? Because Machen wanted Westminster to be a continuation of old Princeton. Mm-hmm. Van Til was a student at Princeton Seminary and w- working on his THM. He studied under William Brenton Green Jr. William Brenton Green Jr. in his syllabus and apologetics, which we have in our library, is teaching Scottish common sense realism. Mm-hmm. as a foundation, epistemological foundation for apologetics, which also has within it a kind of neutral notion of reason. So Van Til, having read Kuyper and Bavink at Calvin, comes to Princeton Seminary. He loved his time there. He loved William Brenton Green Jr. and only speaks highly of him in his writing. But uh, he also recognizes that he's getting things at Princeton that aren't consistent with what uh, Kuyper, Bavink, and even Calvin were saying. Mm -hmm. And this is what begins Van Til's career in his mind. The conundrum is, now what? Now what do we do Mm. in apologetics? Because he says, he would say, I cannot go the way of even Warfield and Hodge and Green Mm -hmm. at Princeton. 
So he's preparing his syllabus for a second year apologetics course. Hmm. And he recognizes I'm not going to be able to continue the line of old Princeton hmm. in apologetics. And mm-hmm. Machen's brought him there as the apologist at Westminster to continue old Princeton. So he's nervous about it. Mm-hmm. So he writes to Machen. And um, Meether again quotes uh, some of the correspondence. And Machen says to him uh, as he writes back, um, I, something to the effect, I'm looking forward to you teaching the course on evidences. I wish I could take it myself. Mm-hmm. So it was it was sort of an affirmation. I think mm-hmm. Van Til even writes back and says, oh, I'm glad to hear that. It was an affirmation that, yes, Westminster is going to continue the lineage of old Princeton, but not in every single detail, because the, mm-hmm. the goal is here to be as consistently reformed as we can be. So Van Til writes evidences, and the name of his second-year apologetics course for his entire career until the 70s was called Evidences, mm-hmm. which is fascinating because m- many people think that if you're a Van Tilian, you're anti mm-hmm. Evidences yeah. and Van Til's saying from the beginning, that's not the case. You just have to understand what evidences are and how we think about mm. those. And then you can be fully, completely, robustly evidential. So it's an important work because it was one of his first. It, it was it was the one that made him the most nervous. And it was the one where Machen said, you've got my imprimatur. I want you to do mm-hmm. this. I wish I could be there to hear you teach. And if I've understood <laughs> it right, the two adjectives on the front of the title are the important part. They are. Because... Uh, Christian theistic evidences, because Van Til is saying uh, there is no such thing as a neutral piece of evidence. Right. There are no brute facts. Right. Every fact is an interpreted fact. Right. Uh, there are evidences for the Bible being the Word of God, for yep. Jesus being the Son of God, yep. but they are Christian theistic evidences. That's it. Yeah. So you're back to the self-attesting Christ of Scripture has been the starting point of everything I have said, which means, you know, to put it rather bluntly, I say this to students. Um, uh, apologetics is not about theism because theists go to hell. Mm-hmm. It's about Christian theism because only Christian theism can save the soul. Only Christ can save. Um, and Van Til was just adamant about that over and over mm-hmm. again about everything that he was – because, again, the recognition is you're either in Adam or in Christ. A theist is not in Christ. Mm-hmm. A theist remains in Adam. Paul mm-hmm. dealt with theists at Athens. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not theism that he wants. It's Christian theistic evidences, which means – at least, that there's an interpretive grid embedded in all of us through which we interpret every evidence. Mm-hmm. So the way, the way I put it in class before, uh, just because I stand out there with an, with an atheist and I say, there's a tree, and he says, there's a tree, does not mean if both of us are struck by lightning at that point and we're before the Lord, doesn't mean the Lord's going to say to the atheist, good for you, you got that right. You saw that tree. Mm-hmm. That, way to go. I'm going to give you brownie points. For no, he saw the tree and the, and the context for the seeing of the tree was his atheism, which is a rejection of what he knows to be the case. And therefore, the context was atheistic. Mm-hmm. So it's an atheistic tree, if I could put it that way. Mm-hmm. He's, got the, he's got the detail, the fact right, but he's got the context completely wrong, which means the fact is skewed. Mm-hmm. It's skewed in his mind because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a just thereness kind of tree. Mm-hmm. It's not a tree that God has made and that reveals his character. Yeah. And this is Van Til's approach for, mm-hmm. for all of his career. We have to remember there's no such thing as just abstract reason or abstract reasoning. Reason is embedded in a person. A person has a representative, either Adam or Christ, and mm-hmm. that's the way the interpretation is going to take place mm. at every point. Uh, he has the illustration, um, the the colored glasses right we all all see is yellow life. to the jaundiced eye all is yellow jaundiced eye and right. we see everything through colored glasses yeah <clears throat> that hit me when i was i was doing an archaeological dig in israel 
2010, started reading Van Til, and we're digging up this site, Biblical Sha'arim. It overlooks the valley of Ephetz Damim, where David fought Goliath. Hmm. And uh, Sha'arim is the Hebrew for Sha'ar, gate, but Sha'arim, two-gated city. It's hmm. the only two-gated city they've ever dug up. And when the Philistines flee from um, the Israelites after David kills Goliath, it says they, f- they, they fled via Sha'arim. And this particular archaeologist who's leading it believed this was biblical Sha'arim because of the two-gated city. Hmm. All other cities that they dug up to date were single-gated cities, harder to get into. And uh, But an opposing archaeologist called Israel Finkelstein, who didn't believe any of the Bible, thought it was all myth, he said it was a Philistine city. <laughs> and they both had done their research right. in this city, and one yeah. said Israelite, one said Philistine. Yeah. And, you know, there were evidences that it wasn't um, Philistine because there were no pig bones. They could never find a pig mm-hmm. bone there, things like that. But it just struck me that one guy is coming, he wasn't a Christian, wasn't even a devout Jew, uh, this other uh, archaeologist, but for him, he was reading it through the lens of the of the Old Testament. Right. And this other guy was just coming at it from a pure secular view of archaeology. Yeah. And I didn't believe the history of the Bible. Right. But it just struck me that they're both looking at the same set of bones, same foundations, same gates, yep. same stones, same pottery, but coming to two totally different conclusions. Yeah, and exactly. Is, is that really what Van Til's That's getting it. at? Yep. I had, I had a doctor 20 years ago. I had some back... Uh, problems and uh so i went into this doctor to try to get uh some help and uh you know he he helped and and uh, diagnosed properly but then he said to me um he said you know i see so many of these and the reason you're having this problem is we were never meant to walk on two legs anyway we're accidentally on two legs so human beings are going to have back problems yeah all is yellow to the jaundiced eye i can diagnose this Mm -hmm. i can i can give you some therapy we can work on it but it's an accident of the world. I mean, mm-hmm. that is a, a yellow interpretation, isn't it? Um, and it's, it's like Van Til's, uh, I love his, uh, his illustration of the, of the buzzsaw. Mm-hmm. The buzzsaw is kind of his illustration of how reason uh, works for unbelief. It's always cutting and it even cuts well because it's sharp, but it's set at the wrong angle. So mm-hmm. it's got the wrong set. So you can't build anything with it. Mm-hmm. You're always cutting and you're cutting sh- nice cut, but guess what? It's not going to fit anywhere. Yeah. That's a great illustration of, of unbelieving reason. We all reason, we all think, but there's a bent. There's a bent to mm-hmm. every one of our uh, thinking processes. And if we're in Adam, it's going to bend that way. If we're in Christ, it's going to bend that mm. way. And th- yeah. that's the antithesis is just so important there. Mm. So tell us about one of these other books then. Yeah. So Defense of the Faith uh, is the first one that I read. Um, it's It was Van Til's sort of earnest uh, attempt um, to to be as clear as he can uh, on on what is the theology behind what he's doing, and he gives he, he doesn't give as much time uh, as much print to that as some wish. I wish he had said more. But then, how do you think about this as you as you uh, about this in light of apologetic these uh, theological truths? How do you think about those in light of his apologetic method? He he writes this on the heels of some pretty strident uh, criticism that had come to him. Uh, through a publication no longer uh, around called the Calvin Forum. And that publication was almost all his kinsmen in the flesh. And that's what that's what really hurt him. He had a lot of Dutchmen after him. Hmm. And, um, you know, it's when you read that, you can get the, the periodicals in, in our library, and I've read all of them. When you read those, um, you... 
how do I say this? There's there's a distinct lack of Christian charity and justice in the way these men are reading Van Til. They they want to turn a phrase in a particular way that Van Til himself, in his own writing, would not hmm. allow for. But they turn it that way. You know, they they would call him, you're just a philosophical idealist. Hmm. Now, Van Til, from the beginning of his academic career, his dissertation, hmm. I am opposed to philosophical idealism. So they would think just because he's saying something like, God is the only concrete universal. Oh, see what he says? That's a Hegelian term. Mm -hmm. You're just a philosophical idealist. Mm -hmm. What Van Til was doing there was he was he was saying, look, philosophical idealism, if, if you're on the Hegelian side, a concrete universalism is, is a, a, an opposition to a Kantian universal. Kant's was abstract. Hegel hated that. So let's get a concrete universal, something embedded in history that's not identical to history. Mm -hmm. So it's embedded concrete. And it's universal, not identical. And Van Til would say, God is the only one who can fill, fulfill a role like that. God is imminent, mm -hmm. and he's not identical with any, any point of history. Mm -hmm. So if you want a concrete universal, you Hegelians, you're going to have to turn to Christ. That's what he would do. Mm -hmm. So people would say just because he used idealistic terminology, he was an idealist. Mm -hmm. I, I wish, in hindsight, he hadn't used as much of that terminology, mm -hmm. partly because it's difficult and also because it's dead. Philosophical idealism, hardly anybody's thinking in those terms anymore. So it's the, in that way, it's completely outdated. Mm -hmm. But when you see what he's doing, if you take the time to see what he's doing, what he's doing is trying to use persuasion, their own language, to try to draw the philosophers into his orbit or show that he's in that sense in their orbit. He knows their language, but also saying what you're looking for, only God is able to fulfill. He's doing that in defense of the faith. Hmm. So he's answering the Calvin Forum people. He's trying to be clearer on his he, – he had some uh, issues with Kuiper. Um, Kuiper did allow. Kuiper was, you know, he was he was dead on when it comes to the antithesis, mm -hmm. except he allowed for some neutrality. He said mm -hmm. in, in areas of weighing and counting and measuring, uh, those don't uh, touch, uh, especially the religious question mm -hmm. at that point. And Van Til said, "Well, yeah, they do, mm -hmm. because even if the unbeliever says two plus two equals four, he's got that right." But again, it's contextualized within a covenant-breaking context. Mm -hmm. So the Lord will not say on judgment, good for you, you got mathematics. Okay, you get some points. No, even in taking that, two plus two equals four, you're taking that out of God's universe. It is mm -hmm. what it is because God made it that way. Mm -hmm. And if you think that's not the case, you've got it wrong. Mm -hmm. You've got the detail right. You've got the context wrong. And knowledge has to be, mm -hmm. both things have to be included. So that's part of what he's doing in defense of the faith. And, you know, I... I really enjoyed uh, back in the day when I when I got to annotate that because I was trying to read it, remembering what I was like as a college student mm -hmm. going through that the first time and just thinking, okay, what are people going to think here? So I tried to do some of the some of the biography that's in there. People didn't know the the people he was dealing with. A lot mm -hmm. of them are Calvin Forum people. Um, I, I was actually curious while I was annotating that as to what, what motivated the Calvin Forum people. And so I did a bit of research on it. And the only person I could find, there was only one person I could find alive still who had written for that. And so I, you know, I found his information. I called him up one day and I said, hey, I'm, I'm doing this annotation of Van Til on Defense of Faith. Your name comes up and I've read your, uh, your stuff in Calvin Forum. I said, what, what was going on there? What, can you tell me something? And it was, it was so disappointing because he said, you know, 
I was a grad student and they gave me an opportunity to publish something. So I just thought I'd write something against him and publish it. I mean, it was not even, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm, I'm really, I was so animated against, it was yeah. just, I was yeah. trying to, trying to make a mark. So that wasn't everybody's, uh, rationale, I'm sure. Uh, but it was, it was, um, you know, even without social media, it was a mean spirited, um, attack that had, that, that by and large had no charity attached to mm-hmm. it. So Van Til had to wrestle through that. <clears throat> Right defense of the faith to try to explain, here's what I'm saying, guys. And he interacts. The reason I, I told PNR I want I would only do the first edition is because the second edition they took some of the some of the stuff out. Hmm. And, you know, because it's easier to read if it's out, but I said, I want everything in there hmm. because I you know, I'll identify the people that he's interacting with, but I also want people to know this is part of what the motivation was behind hmm. writing the book. Yeah. So that's what he's doing there. Yeah. I remember reading it, finding the footnotes very helpful to set it in context because I'm not right. familiar with all these Dutch names. Yeah. Uh, all the people who are his interlocutors, right. and it was helpful to have that sort of context. Yeah, uh, talk to us about common grace in the gospel. Yeah, it's it's uh, another important work. Um, so in my in my view, what I tell students is, if you really want to get a grasp on Van Til, it's it's probably good to read uh, in this order: Defense of the Faith, Common Grace in the Gospel, and then Christian Theory of Knowledge, which will be out soon. Um, where would you put uh, Christian theistic evidences in that order? I, well, I think Christian theistic evidences, if you have those three down, yeah. when you read evidences, it'll all be very clear yeah. to you why yeah. he's doing what he's yeah. doing. I think if you get that, you know, those things in step, mm-hmm. then anything else you pick up, you'll think, oh, of course. Mm-hmm. Van Til was purposely repetitive in much of what he wrote. Mm-hmm. People say, oh, you know, he said this elsewhere. Of course, he keeps trying to make the same point mm-hmm. over and over and over again, sometimes the same way, sometimes different ways, because people aren't getting it yet Mm -hmm. you know so he's frustrated by that so common grace um was a big issue in the christian reformed church um i think it was 1925 when they came out with their statement on common grace affirming it again and van Til took it on as as part of uh, what he wanted people to recognize because in his apologetic he is with kuiper adamant about the antithesis there are only two places for us to be um, as people, theologically, biblically, in Adam or in Christ, does that mean um, that there's no way to talk to somebody mm-hmm. um, who's not a Christian? Kuiper actually sounds like it might mean that, mm-hmm. and this is why Warfield takes him on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Warfield asked Kuiper to come do the Stone Lectures, and they, so we have the lectures on Calvinism, but they interacted a, a good bit before that, back and forth, um, and then Warfield wrote uh, kind of a critique of Kuiper, because Ty, uh, Kuiper talks about there being two kinds of people mm-hmm. in the world. Uh, so there's Christian scientists and non-Christian yeah. scientists, and Warfield's like, wait a minute, science is science, yeah. And, and, and yeah, it does make a difference if you're a Christian, but we're, we're still doing science together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think there's a way uh, around that. I think Warfield had a point that Kuiper might have been a bit too adamant. Um, when I was uh, looking at this years and years ago, I looked at Kuiper's encyclopedia. Part of that's been translated, most of volume two, a little bit of volume one, not nothing in volume three. And I was wondering, where does Kuiper put apologetics? Well, you've got to go to volume three. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to look at apologetics. And he's got, I think, maybe 10 pages at the most. So this is a mm-hmm. three-volume, mm-hmm. you know, massive work. Where's apologetics? Little bitty 10 pages at the end. And so Warfield was right uh, to say that mm-hmm. for, for Kuiper, apologetics is a subdivision of a subdivision. It's way, way down on the list mm-hmm. because he was so adamant about the antithesis. Uh, Van Til says in, in Defense of the Faith, 
uh, he can't follow Kuiper at that point. Um, he, he has to he has to understand. He has to follow Warfield. The reason we have apologetics as a re- as required courses at Westminster is because of Warfield and Van Til, not because of Kuiper. Kuiper mm-hmm. would have had it as a you know an, an extra. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, so what we have in common grace is Van Til's uh, attempt to flesh out their collection of essays, beginning I think early forties, all the way to one of the last things he wrote is the last chapter in there, um, and and he's. His whole career, he's tr- he's trying to say, how do we properly and biblically think about God's common mercy, universal mercy, however you want to put it, uh, toward those who are not elect or toward those who are not in Christ? How do we think about that? Um, and, and he says, Herman Hoeksema rejected it and started a whole denomination because of that rejection. No common grace can't be. Um, he says, Kuiper moved in a kind of Roman Catholic direction. There was too much neutrality mm-hmm. there. And he says, I'm going to take a third way. And he appreciated both men very much, mm. Huxma and Kuiper. Um, but his third way was to say, common grace cannot be common ground, as if when we talk to unbelievers, whatever we say, if they say the same thing, that we mean the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, just just to kind of put a point on that, when if you if you think a classical proof like Thomas Aquinas is a legitimate way to defend the Christian faith, what you're presupposing is that your understanding of cause and effect, since you're using, let's say, the second way of Thomas, your understanding of cause and effect is going to mean the same thing for the unbeliever that it means for you. Mm-hmm. And and history shows that it doesn't, and it never has. I mean, even even people who were who were wedded to Thomas uh, would say Thomas can't get you above the historical and the temporal. Mm-hmm. Um, because cause effect has to land somewhere. And if it lands on God as the first cause, the question you have to ask is, so where is he in the structure of the cause effect relationship? Is he as the first cause? Because causality is typically temporal. Is he temporal? Mm-hmm. Is he eternal? If he's eternal, how did we get there? What's your justification for going there? So what Van Til was saying was we have to recognize that there, there's nothing that the unbeliever is going to take that is not going to be infected with the sin of unbelief. It's all still there. Mm-hmm. By God's common grace, we still have avenues to pursue. Van Til says in, in various places, when you talk about the gospel to an unbeliever, he can understand what you're saying. He can understand the word. There's, mm-hmm. there's something going on there. But he's going to take those in and of himself. He's going to take those and skew them in various ways. We, we know that. It takes a work of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it's not that they can't understand a word you're saying. Mm-hmm. It's that they're always going to incorporate it into mm-hmm. their covenant-breaking personality. And back to the buzzsaw, their mind's working fine. The, the blade's cutting fine, but yeah. it's cutting off center. Cutting off center, yeah. Because, it's the wrong angle. Um, they, they have a default rebellion in their mind. I'm right. thinking of Ephesians 4, 17 to 19, yeah. to the futility of their minds, right. darkened in their understanding, yep. alienated yep. from God due to the hardness of their heart. Exactly. And I remember thinking, uh, reading in Van Til, I think it's in a footnote in Defense of Faith, he says, all knowledge is ethical. Right. Yeah. Brilliant. So, so all knowledge is coming from your heart, whereas... The secular view is, no, no, knowledge is just your mind. Yeah. Forget your will, forget your heart. Right. There's so, we can access objective truth just up here. Yep. 
And Van Til saying, no, no, it's all ethical. Right. It's, your heart is in it. Yes. Very important point because we do tend to think of a knowledge and epistemology as simply an intellectual exercise. And Van Til's making clear there's an intellectual component and it may be a strong intellectual component, but it is at root ethical. You are either for or against in the way you're handling your own knowledge. Mm-hmm. And that's the way we're ha- we have to think about it again, because that's the way the Lord thinks about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not happy just because you drive down the street and you say, look at that pretty tree if you're an unbeliever because you're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness even while you make that statement which mm-hmm. is superficially correct so mm-hmm. that's an ethical problem it's a moral problem van Til's mm-hmm. very clear about that mm-hmm. and got it from paul so talk to us about the book that's coming out with westminster seminary press van Til's <clears throat> the christian theory of knowledge yeah I, I saw a blurb that said perhaps maybe the most important book yeah that van Til wrote why do, why do you say that yeah well um I think, so there was a time in Van Til's career when Defense of the Faith and Christian Theory of Knowledge were one manuscript, kind of mm-hmm. together. And, uh, and during time, uh, as time passed by, he saw that he needed to make Defense of the Faith its own. And then he says in his own preface that Christian Theory of Knowledge is a supplement to Defense of the Faith. So that's why I say if you're going to read Van Til, you want to really get him um, defense of the faith and then recognize his interest in and his, uh, uh, um, I think, theological acumen in the area of common grace and then see the supplement Christian theory of knowledge. What's he doing there? That was a fun one, again, to annotate because I, I learn new things every time I read Van Til. And I, I was working on on various ideas in Van Til. But what he's trying to do is um, go through the history of the church in a, in a you know sort of bird's eye view He's not, he's not a detail man in that way. Go through the history of the church and try to show where some of the problems have come in, in areas uh, particularly of epistemology, which are going to impinge on theology. Um, and it's important because it shows the scope of Van Til's learning. When he was a professor here, he taught a course numerous times called Christianity in Conflict. And he would, he would, you know, he would spend sometimes a whole semester just on Augustine and show how there were some good things in Augustine, but guess what? The, the Platonism of Augustine got in the way oftentimes. And so he would do that. He would do the positive and the negative and Christian theory of knowledge. He's trying to show how in the history of theology, yes, there are some things that have been handed down to us, but there are a lot of things we've got to weed out as well all the way back from the early church into the medieval and certainly in the modern. So he's doing the kind of historical overview of epistemological problems that have come in and that have seeped into the church. And and one of the reasons why he thinks, and I think, is it's one of the reasons why you have modernism and liberalism in the church. Because once you let autonomy in, this was Van Til, he was just death mm-hmm. on this. Once you let autonomy in, it will, except for the grace of God, it's going to grow mm-hmm. and it's going to get worse. And so pretty soon, uh, there's going to be a lot of deconstruction is the word today. Mm-hmm. Pretty soon, the faith doesn't matter anymore because I'm self-sufficient. I can do it myself. Mm-hmm. I can't trust that Bible. And so Van Til writes for that reason. Uh, one of the things that was fascinating to me, and I highlighted this, I decided to highlight it in the forward, is the way in which Van Til uses the principle of continuity and discontinuity. He uses that in a lot of places. I have some uh, things to say about it in defense of the faith. Uh, but what I, uh, what I recognized as I was reading Christian Theory of Knowledge is that um, Van Til is, is, is very much dependent on a sort of Greek philosophical tradition called the scale of being. And uh, uh, there was there was material around during this time that that Van Til was uh, was taking from. It's more obvious in his Christian conflict than it is in Christian theory of knowledge, but it basically is showing uh, 
that uh, in 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 thinking about the scale of being, what happens is you wind up with a kind of dialectic at root in your thought, which means uh, instead of continuity discontinuity, which means there's a rational irrational dialectic mm-hmm. taking place in your knowledge. And why is that? So Vento's working with that. He's he's fleshing that out a little bit. So if I can just give a quick example. Um, when Paul's at Athens, as we know, he quotes two Greek poets, um, probably Epimenides and Aratus. Um, and when he's quoting, uh, let's just say Epimenides, um, uh, in him we live and move and have our being. Uh, you know, there, so much apologetic ink has been spilled over this. And um, to me, it's, it's relatively simple. So I asked, I asked students in, in my class. Um, we're reading through Acts 17. Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being. I asked them, is that true? And they know it's a trick question, and it is a trick question. Hmm. So what's the point of the question? The point is, when Epimenides writes, in him we live and move and have our being, to what does he refer? Mm -hmm. He refers to Zeus, Mm -hmm. makes the statement false. Paul has already, at Athens, poured in biblical theological content on the character of God. You know, he doesn't dwell in, -hmm. you know, he doesn't need anything. He doesn't dwell in temples. Um, He's he's sovereign. He, he you know from one man he's established everything. So he's telling these Athenians the only reason you're here and your heart is beating is because of who God is. And by the way, your poets have said in Him we live and move and exist. Now, what's the point of that phrase? It's rational and irrational. Mm-hmm. How is it rational? The only reason Epimenides would say something like that, a sort of universal all is, the only reason he would do that is because he knows the true God truly. Um, so he's got that. He knew there has to be something that would wrap up mm-hmm. the universal, and that was Greek philosophy. It's irrational because he thinks it points to someone who is Zeus, who himself is dependent mm-hmm. on that which is below him in order to be. So it's all of that irrationality. If Zeus doesn't have control over mm-hmm. everything. He himself is subject to other things. So right there in one statement, you've got a rational, irrational mm-hmm. dialectic. And what Van Til is saying is, if we see both of those things taking place, it's a dialectic that can't be resolved. But we can tee off of that and help people recognize, which I think is what Paul was doing. Said, Look, your poets have said these things. They've got the wrong referent. The mm-hmm. referent is the God I've just spoken about, mm-hmm. not the Zeus that you think exists. Mm. And so then Paul goes to, he commands all people everywhere mm. to repent. And mm. guess what? That includes you, Athenians. So, so that's Van Til's Rational Irrational, mm. and he's bringing that out in Christian theory of knowledge more than any other place mm. that I've seen him bring it out in yeah. any other writing. Well, I look forward to seeing it. It's due out in the next month or two, um, ready for the Van Til Conference. Uh, you can order it at wtsbooks.com, and uh, well worth getting a hold of. Do you want to just tell us quickly about the conference? Probably by the time this podcast gets released, it's going to be in the past. Yeah. So how can people access the talks? Right. The well, the, the plan right now uh, may change, but the plan right now after the conference is that we're going to put all of the talks together into various chapters and we're going to publish a book, Van Til in the Future, Reformed Apologetics, and it's going to contain all the talks. I'm I'm relatively sure there'll be bits and pieces of the talks going out. That hasn't been decided yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's, uh, it's an exciting opportunity at Westminster because it's never happened before. It, mu- it might never happen again. 
And I think we were able uh, in that conference to get uh, the, the best of the best to come in and talk about their various interests in, in, their, uh, in their own commitments to Van Til. So Chris Watkin will have an interest that has a more continental mm. um, influence. Uh, Dan Strange has interest in terms of what he's doing and in his uh, work with J.H. Bobbing. Um, James Anderson has a philosophical interest, and that's going to come out. I'm going to do uh, – I, I will speak, will have spoken on the census of Venetatis. I think that's another important area that people don't quite still get in Ventil. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and, and then there are going to be some breakout sessions. So I think it's going to be a, a very uh, useful conference for Westminster, and I hope the book will be useful in the future. Yeah, that's great. Well, we're going to keep talking in a third episode. I'm going to grab some quotes of Vantil, some illustrations, and ask you to explain what he means. Okay. So if you've been listening to this episode and your mind's spinning and you're thinking this is fascinating but don't quite get it, join us for the third episode uh, when we're going to drill down into some specifics in Vantil, point of contact, common grace, the self-attesting Christ of Scripture, things like that, uh, to really understand what he was getting at. So uh, thanks again, Scott, for joining us, and uh, we will see you in the third episode. And uh, if you want to go to WTSbooks.com, uh, there's going to be a giveaway of Van Til's The Christian Theory of Knowledge. That's WTSbooks.com forward slash afterward. Uh, be sure to enter for that if you want to get a chance of uh, winning Van Til's latest book, The Christian Theory of Knowledge. We will see you in the next episode.